Good evening, everybody. It is great to be here and be able to worship again tonight. You know, sometimes the smallest of words can carry uh, great power. Take two people, for example, who stand before an audience and say, I do. There's a lot of power and uh, a lot riding on those two small words. You might be in the process of purchasing a property of some kind, and you get a contract, and that contract may consist of a dozen or more pages with paragraph after paragraph and word after word, but somewhere buried in the bottom of that contract, there's one line in one paragraph which might contain the word not. And if that word is activated, then all of the language of every other page of that contract becomes null and void. Or maybe consider what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, and 20, 18 to 20. Jesus said, Go, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. The word go, it's a powerful word. It's only two letters, but it's a command. And there is a great deal writing on that two-letter word. Tonight we're talking about a word that is small but quite significant. We're talking about a word, it, it's actually in Psalm 119, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles there. We're looking at verse 41 through 48 tonight. Psalm 119, verse 41 through 48. And the word is and, A-N-D, the word and. Psalm 119, as you know, is the greatest example of the art of the alphabetic acrostic known to man. There are 176 verses in this psalm, and these 176 verses are divided into sections based on the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And what you need to know is that in every one of these sections, every line in each section begins with the letter of that section. So the section, for example, in verses 1 through 8, Aleph, every line of that psalm begins with the, or that section begins with the letter Aleph. Well, the section that we're looking at tonight, verse 41 through 48, the Vav section is how that would be pronounced. That word, or that letter Vav, is an interesting letter because there are almost no Hebrew words that begin with that letter, almost none. And the reason is because that letter basically serves as a conjunction, and it is equivalent to our English word, and. So in Psalm 119, verse 41 through 48, every line of this section begins with the word and. The psalmist says, and I, and I, and I. That's the idea. But this great and section of Psalm 119 is not uh, something that just exists uh, randomly. It actually sits in this place and it uh, is developed in this way because it elaborates on all of the sections, or most of the sections anyway, that have come before it. So if you look back, for example, in this psalm, 
in verse 9 through 16, the psalmist dealt with the need to live a holy or a pure life. But then in verse 17 to 24, he talked about how difficult it is to live a holy and a pure life in this world that is full of wickedness and impurity. And then in the next section, verse 25 through 32, he added on to that. He talked about living a holy life in a world full of wickedness and impurity. And then in verse 25 to 32, he added pleasure to the list. It's a world full of pleasure. And then in verse 33 to 40, with a heart that is devoted to continually learning more of the will of God. So the psalmist says we've got to live holy. We live holy lives in a world full of sin, in a world full of pleasure, and we do so with a heart that is devoted to constantly learning more of God's word, verse 33 to 40. And oh, by the way, one more thing. That's kind of the idea when you get to verse 41. And one more thing. That's the idea. He'll say in verse 1, let your mercies come to me also. It's as if the psalmist has said, look, I, have, I know that we have to live this way and I, and I know that it's difficult and I want you to know that I'm devoted to constantly learning more about you while I'm trying to live for you. But there's one more thing that I want to bring up and that's verse 41 through 48. So in view of the first 40 verses, the psalmist says, let your mercies come upon me also. And what you need to know about this section is that every line, as I said, begins with the word and, that would be the English equivalent, but every line of this section either looks back at the thought that came before it or anticipates the one that is to come after it. So what the psalmist wants in this psalm or this section of this psalm is an unrestricted flow of the mercy of God. He prays for that, and then he lists some promises and some determinations based on that. Let's look at it together. First of all, I want you to look with me at verse number 41. The psalmist says, Let your mercies come also unto me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Two interesting points in this verse. Number one, this is the first time in Psalm 119 that love is mentioned, and it is also the first time in Psalm 119 that salvation is mentioned. That may surprise you a little bit, as it did me. We've gone 40 verses, and now for the first time, finally, we're reading about love and we're reading about salvation. But notice that he uses the word, the New King James translation, it's the word mercy, but not mercy, singular, mercies, plural. This word, mercies, this is the word that we talked about a few Sunday evenings ago when we studied 2 Samuel chapter 9. You remember in that chapter that David was looking for a man, a descendant, any descendant of the house of Saul because he said, I want to show mercy or I want to show loving kindness, if you will, toward him. Steadfast love. This is that word that we discussed that the English Bible translates in a number of different ways because its meaning is so vast and so vivid. 
It refers to mercy, but it also refers to steadfast love, which knows and which cares and which provides and which never fails. And notice that the word is in the plural. The psalmist, the psalmist is saying to God, look, I want to have evidences of your unfailing, knowledgeable, constantly providing steadfast love in abundance and over and over again in my life. And then notice that he connects it with salvation. That word salvation indicates one who steps in to deliver in a time of need. One who steps in to deliver in a time of need. And he says that this deliverance is according to your word. In other words, God, you said that you were going to step in and deliver me during time of need. So now that we've talked about living right in this challenging world and being constantly studious of your word, one more thing that I'd like to ask you, God, would you please continue to show me and reveal unto me and bless me with your steadfast, unfailing, unceasing, knowledgeable and caring love and step in to deliver me in times of need as you have promised. That's the psalmist's desire. But now look how he builds on that desire in the, in the remaining verses. You see, he has this desire in the first verse, but then he says in verse 42 through 48, here are some things that I am going to do. And they all start with I. They're all declarations or determinations. The first thing he says is, I will speak, verse 42 and verse 43, I will speak. Psalmist says, so shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me because I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. One thing that the psalmist makes clear in Psalm 119 is that he was dealing with enemies, that he was being slandered, and that there were those who were fighting against him because of his determination to live a life in faithful service to God. Look back, for example, at verse 22. He said, Remove me from reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. And then he says, Princes also sit and speak against me but your servant meditates on your statutes. In other words, he says in verse 22, there are people who, are, uh, who hate me. And verse 23, he says, some of these people are people of authority, people of power, people in high positions. They sit and speak out against me because, because I have committed myself to your word. Look at verse 61. Look forward to verse 61. He says, the cords of the wicked have bound me. They've tied me up is the idea. Look at verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me. Have you ever been slandered? Has anyone ever stabbed you in the back? Has anybody ever said something about you behind your back that wasn't true? That's happened to the psalmist. He says, they forged a lie against me but I'm going to keep your precepts with my whole heart. And over and over throughout this psalm, he continues to identify the fact that he was dealing with trouble. But now here's the question. What do we say? How do we respond? How do we react to those who reproach us and slander us and seek to fight against us? Well, look what he says. Look at the text. 
Psalm 119, verse 42, he says, look, verse 41, if your mercies come unto me, your salvation according to your word, according to your promise, according to what you have said, then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be able to answer the one who reproaches me. I will have an answer for my enemy, but not just any answer. You stop and think about it just for a moment. The psalmist, probably David, of course, was a human being just like the rest of us. And uh, I think we all know that, you know, sometimes when someone says something against us or fights against us, we can stop and we can think about a whole lot of things we'd like to say to them. But probably none of them are helpful and beneficial. And if we're honest, many of them probably are inappropriate. But the psalmist says, look, it's not going to be my word that I'm going to use to answer them. He says, it's going to be your word. Your word will be my answer. He says, I'll have an answer for him who reproaches me because I trust in your word, literally because I feel confident by the word that you have spoken. And this word that you have spoken, he says, verse 43, don't take it out of my mouth because he calls it the word of truth. And the idea of that is that the word of God is trustworthy and it is reliable. And he says, therefore, I have hope in your ordinances. God, verse 41, let your mercies come unto me and your salvation. And if so, I will speak. When people slander me, when people harm me, I'll have an answer to them. But it won't be my answer it's going to be an answer that comes from your word. And here's why. Because, number one, I trust in your word. The end of verse 42. Number three, your word is trustworthy. Number two, your word is trustworthy. The first line of verse 43. And then number three, your word is the foundation of my hope. The last line of verse number 43. Now, if I could step away from this section just for a moment... There is a New Testament passage that just screams uh, as a commentary on this one, and that's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. Will you look at that passage with me just for a moment? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15. Listen to what this apostle said. He asked this question, Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And listen to this, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify. That means set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter, what are, you, what are you telling me? Here's what I'm telling you. If you are a faithful Christian, verse number 13, if you are following after what is good, no one will really ever be able to do any permanent harm to you. You know why? Because the worst thing they could do is kill you and then you get to be with the Lord that much sooner. They're actually doing you a favor. No one can ever do any real harm to you, verse number 13. So therefore, when you are tried when you are persecuted don't be afraid but rather answer verse number 15 give an answer give a defense speak in defense of the faith which they hold in contempt well peter what do i need to speak and how do i need to give a defense now we go back to our passage in psalm 119 
not our words, not human wisdom. David said, I'll answer the one who reproaches me with your word because that's where I find my trust. That's where I find that which is trustworthy and that's the foundation of my hope. We ought to, I would suggest, learn the same lesson. When people abuse us in one way or another and for whatever reason, our response it doesn't come from our own wisdom. Our response ought to come from the wisdom of God. Look at the next section, verse 44 through 46. These three verses, they begin... It, the real, really, the idea of each one of these verses is, I, not just I will, but I promise I will. So, let your mercies come to me, let your salvation come to me. Step in to meet, to meet to deliver me in times of need. And as a result of that, I'm going to speak. I'm going to be able to answer the one who reproaches me, verse 42 and 43. And also as a result, I promise I will do three things. Number one, verse 44, I will be governed by your word. He says, so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. The idea here is my walk will match my talk. Verse 42 and 43 talk is about talking. Here's what I'm going to say. Verse 44 says, here's how I'm going to here's how I'm going to live. You may remember the previous section in Psalm 119. It's been a little while since we've studied this psalm, but in verse 33 to 40 the psalmist talks about basically going back to school about being a constant student of the Word of God. And there's a bit of a hint of that in this passage as well. Not only I, when he says, shall I keep your law continually, is the idea of being governed, having your paths, uh, having your life and your pathway lined out by the Word of God, but it's also, uh, it also has to do with constantly seeking to learn more of it. I promise I'm going to continue learning your law so that your law can be the governing factor of my life. I will live in accordance with what your word says. I promise I will be governed by your word. Number two, look at verse 45. I promise I will enjoy freedom. I promise I will enjoy freedom, he says, and I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. When he says, I will walk at liberty, the literal meaning here is that I will walk in a wide place, unfettered, not tied down, complete freedom is the, uh, is the image and the, em uh, the emphasis of this word and of this, uh, of this word picture. And there's a bit of irony here because there are there is the thought... There is the thought in the world that, look, if we really want to enjoy life and if we really want to live in a way that is free, then you know what? We need to get rid of this idea that we've got to follow commandments, that we've got to follow laws, and that we've got to live just a certain way. Real freedom, according to a worldly mentality, is about fulfilling your desires and finding happiness as you define it. Would you listen to what this psalmist said in the same psalm, verse number 133, Psalm 119, verse 133. Listen to what he says. He says, Direct my steps by your word and let no 
iniquity have dominion over me. The inverse of that is also true. If my words, if my steps are not directed by your word, then iniquity will have dominion over me. This is a message of the New Testament as well. This was the message of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 30 to 36. What the unbelieving Jews never could grasp is that they were enslaved. They said, look, we've never been enslaved to anybody. We've never been anybody's servants. And Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. But he said, look, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Truth makes free. Uh, truth equals freedom. And obedience to truth results in freedom. But sin and iniquity and a lack of truth results in bondage. Isn't it interesting? The psalmist in this section is talking about having to answer those who reproach him in verse 42 and 43. And now in verse number 45, he's saying, look, these folks are trying to lock me down, but you know what? When I follow your word, all that's going to do is, all that's going to do is release me from the shackles of sin and iniquity, and I am going to enjoy freedom as one who loves you and whose sin has been forgiven there is great blessing to be found in being a child of God, and that's what he's talking about. Number three, look at verse 46. I promise I will be governed by your word, verse 44. I promise I will enjoy freedom, verse 45. And I promise that I will be bold, verse 46. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and I will not be ashamed. Earlier in this psalm, do you remember... Psalm 119 and uh, verse number 6, when the psalmist talked about shame, he said, uh, keeping your precepts diligently, directing my ways according to your statutes, that's what results in not, uh, in not being ashamed. And later on in verse number 80, he'll say, let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes so that I will not be ashamed. You see, the point is, He's already told us that he has those who are in positions of authority who are fighting against him. He's already told us that he has those who are reproaching him and he wants to answer them and he's going to answer them with the word of God. It's going to be God's answer that he's going to give. And now he's saying that, look, because of the way that he has directed his life, because of the fact that he has arranged his ways according to the direction and the instruction of God, he can stand even before kings, he can stand before the highest authorities in this land who are trying to shut him down, and without any sense of shame or any sense of embarrassment, he can in complete boldness say, Thus saith the Lord. Here's what you ought to be doing because this is what the king of all the earth says needs to be done. That's quite a statement. I think you would agree. It's a bold statement indeed to think that someone could stand before a person of power and say, look, this is what God says and this is what you need to be doing. But the psalmist says, when we're God's people and when we're obeying him as our king and directing our lives according to his statutes, we can stand before princes or kings or queens or presidents or whoever it happens to be and say, this is what God says, and we can do it without any shame or any embarrassment whatsoever. David says, Lord, in addition to everything we've talked about, 
shower me, overwhelm me with your mercy and deliver me. Step in to deliver me when I need you. And Lord, as a result of that, I'm going to speak. I'm going to have an answer, verse 42 and 43. And I promise, verse 44 to 46, that I will be governed by your word and I will enjoy the freedom that your word gives and I will be bold. And finally, in verse 47 and 48, he says, I'm going to be devote. I will love, rather, I will love your word. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love, and my hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate in your statutes. In your daily Bible reading, read this psalm and underline or make note of how many verses, how many times the psalmist mentions loving God's word. Verse 97, you'll find it. Verse 113, 119, 127, 140, 159, 163, 165, 167, and over and over again, I love your law. I love it. What do we do with the things that we truly love? We devote ourselves to them. We give our time to the things that we truly love. We give our energy. We give our passion we give our interest. We exhaust ourselves in order, uh, we exhaust ourselves in the name of the things that we love. David says, I will be devoted to your word. But notice the connection. How did this section start? Let your mercies, your steadfast love, your never failing, constantly providing, always caring, knowledgeable, Faithful love, let that love come unto me. David says at the end of the section, Lord, I'm going to be as devoted to your word as I'm asking you to be to me. I'm asking you to extend your steadfast love to me. I'm going to give my steadfast love to you and to your will. I'm going to give myself over, meditate on your statutes. That's the proper response. That's the proper response to a God who loves us and who has given us all things and who has sent his son on the cross to die for our sins, to give ourselves completely and entirely over to him. And in this case, verse 47 and 48, give ourselves over to a study and, a, and a, a, an understanding and application of his word. Small words can carry great power. And this little section of this psalm is an important section because it is a section, again, every, every line, even if it doesn't show up in the English, it does in the original language, it's, it's and, and this, and, and, and. But that's not, again, that's not just by coincidence. It's not that the psalmist is just looking for filler here because he got to the letter of the Hebrew alphabet which uh, almost no words begin with. No, he's looking back at everything he said before and he's preparing for what he's going to say afterward and he is making a steadfast and utter promise to serve God faithfully because he knows he has a God who cares for him faithfully as well. I hope that we can find ourselves standing in his shoes and that we can pray the same prayer and that we can make the same declaration. Tonight we offer the Lord's invitation and maybe there's someone here that needs to respond. Do you need to become a Christian tonight? Do you believe in the deity of Jesus? 
Are you willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If you are, we stand ready and willing to help you in, in, in doing that tonight, and we would love nothing more than the privilege of being uh, able to help you in obeying the gospel. But maybe tonight you are a Christian, and there are some things you're struggling with in life. Can we pray for you? Can we help you in some way? Whatever that might be, we invite you to come forward and let us know while we stand and sing the invitation song.